0: Jesus, we stand before you just rejoicing and singing worship to you today, God. Lord, you are light of the world, and there's no one else, nothing else that compares to you, God, and your love for us. And as we come to you this morning, Lord, we come in worship, and we come to seek you in your word. And we ask that you would speak to us now, Lord, as we open up your word. God, you're already moving in our midst, and our hearts are alive with you And may your Holy Spirit touch and anoint this time now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 2. We'll continue our study here through the seven letters uh, to the churches, to the seven churches. And today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2 from verse 12 through 17. And really, we're talking about the lenient church, the lenient church here. Now, as you're turning there... uh, there, there is this old Russian parable and it goes like this. A hunter raised his rifle and took careful aim at a large bear when ab- and when about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke suddenly in soft tones in a soft and soothing voice saying, Isn't it better to talk than shoot? What do you want? Let us negotiate the matter. While lowering his wi- rifle, the hunter replied, I want a fur coat. Good, said the bear. That is a negotiable question. I only want a full stomach, so let us negotiate a compromise. Thus, they sat down to negotiation, and after a a little time went by, the bear walked away alone. You see, the negotiation has been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had his fur coat. But, you know, in the spiritual battle that we go through every day, you and I can be like the hunter by allowing ourselves to converse with the devil, allowing the compromise to come in. Well, today, as we come to the third of our seven letters to the church is in the book of Revelation. Now, we've, we've seen now, we've seen the church of Ephesus, first of all, and that was a love church. Church. You remember the church that Jesus said they left their first love. The church of Smyrna, we saw last week, was the languishing church. That was the church they were suffering under persecution. Well, today we come to the church of Pergamum, which is the lenient church for allowing the compromise. And that's the title of our message today. Jesus writes this letter to ask them to stop allowing. The compromise. Stop allowing the compromise. Now we're gonna be studying the Revelation chapter 2 from verse 12 through 17, as I mentioned, and we're gonna see four things in this letter from Jesus to the church. And number one is the reminder, number two, the recognition, number three, the reprimand, and number four the remedy. So stop allowing the compromise. That's our title. Let's begin with number one in our outline. The reminder. Number one, the reminder. And here it's just verse 12 we're going to be covering. So take a look with me here now. Verse 12, Revelation chapter 2, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp, two edged sword. Now we begin here, we'll stop there, and we begin though here in verse 12 with again this introduction to the letter and it tells us who it's going to right this letter is to the angel of the church in pergamum now we've covered this many times already we understand the angel here is really speaking about and this is what i believe the leader or the pastor of the church so this letter is basically going to this church in where the city of pergamum Now, the city of Pergamum, and you'll see the map again up on our screen, as I've been showing you every week now, the city of Pergamum is 50 miles north of Smyrna. Remember, we started in Ephesus. If you go up the coast, it goes to uh, Smyrna. Then above that is Pergamum. And this book, this letter, this, what John has put together and written for Jesus, as Jesus spoke, started out in Patmos. You see that little island where he was banished, went to Ephesus, Myrna, and now Pergamum. This is to go to Pergamum. Pergamum is actually the city today. It's called uh, Bergama in Turkey. And back then, this was like the Roman capital of Asia, of that whole region there. I, it was a large, a very wealthy city. There were many temples, as we've seen in all of these cities, temples of the Greek gods, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But this city was known for its culture and education on top of all the well, the idol worship that we would call there. Matter of fact, there in Pergamum was this very large library which really competed with Alexandria and Egypt. You might have heard how Alexandria had, had the, the wealth of the knowledge of, of the ancient times with the huge library. Well, Pergamum really competed with them with 200,000 books, or we would say rolls of parchment back then. Uh, the printing press wasn't made, but they actually developed uh, parchment, which was made of animal skins, and they would have written books and scrolls and things by that, uh, using that. It was actually years before Uh, This time that we're reading that the Roman general, you may have heard of him, Mark Anthony, right? He gave this library to his lover. And you remember her name? Cleopatra, right? Of Egypt. So it's in history. We know Pergamum here. But here we see in church history that there was a church planted in Pergamum and possibly we don't we don't have any account we the only account we have is in Acts 16 verse 8 when Paul went through Pergamum there and perhaps there's something that started back then but we don't know for sure so this letter goes to the pastor or the church of of Pergamum that those believers that are in that city of Pergamum well who is it from well it goes on in verse 12 the words of him who has the sharp two-edged And so this letter is coming from none other than Jesus Christ. Now, notice his description here. And as we've been seeing with most of the letters we're going to see too, and we've been seeing already that uh, the description of who it's from, of Jesus, is really taken from chapter 1. And here we see Jesus says, these are the words, basically, of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And you remember where we saw that? Well, back in chapter 1, you could take a look. In verse 16, it says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. So here's Jesus coming with this particular description to this particular church in a specific way. Now, he uses the word here for sword is that word rompia, and if you remember, that's that large, broad sword the Romans had, double edged They developed it. It, it was it was their, It's that. It's what won them countries and wars and victory in so many ways. So remember, back then in chapter one, we had learned that G, Jesus saying, "Hey, in my mouth, in, in this description, my mouth is the sharp, two-edged sword." Is talking about how Jesus has that authority in judgment that His word is his word he has the commanding word what comes out of his mouth because he is God he is the Lord so here's Jesus writing with authority to the church in Pergamum speaking with the powerful word from God and you know what the interesting thing is that in that city of Pergamum we see in our word today that there's a pro-council there, and, and this city was, was known, again, the Roman capital of Asia, and this pro-council, this chief judge, he was granted power from Rome, from, uh, n- known as they called him, he had the right of the sword. So interesting, Jesus comes with this sword image. See, he had the authority and the power to give judgment and even sentence people to executions. So here's Jesus saying, no, ultimately, I hold the authority and power over life and death. I hold the authority to judge. My word stands. So that's Jesus coming to this church, presenting himself, describing himself in this way. And this is the reminder, you guys, Jesus speaks the word. This is the word of God in this letter that we're looking at. He's speaking with all authority and what his word says, his word goes. And remember, he's the one who holds the ultimate judgment in his hands. We know how powerful the word is also, right? In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the idea, Jesus comes with the word of God, with a penetrating word, to speak uh, in a way that he can see down to our very soul, and the depths of our heart and soul, everything. And what he says, he says, and he comes in to even look at the intentions of our heart. So here's Jesus. He holds that authority to judge and he holds that powerful word. So first of all, Jesus comes with the powerful word of God to be dividing right from wrong. Jesus comes with the powerful word of God to be dividing the right from wrong. This is the reminder for the church here. This is Jesus. This is the Lord. This is who is writing to this church. And so... He wants them to be attentive to what he's saying here. He wants them to take notice because he's the one. Yeah, the pro has power in his authority and word, but Jesus much more because these words are the two-edged sword from him. You know, the other day I, I picked up a new tool and in order to make straight cuts with this saw, I broke out the instruction manual and I I wanted to install the blade in the right way right I I want to make sure because I want to make these straight cuts and funny how I I, just a note I'm thinking why do they always give you instructions with the font size really small especially for my aging eyes you know even with my reading glasses like I got got to take the magnifying glasses and, and put them on or a lot of times I just look it up online you could blow it up right but I want to get into the manual. I want to see what it's saying. I want to see the correct and proper way to install this saw. And even though it takes some effort, it takes a little time, it was very important to me to make good cuts. Well, what, don't we do the same thing? When something is important... We we read about it. We, we get into it. When we're buying something, we get into reviews or if you get a bottle of medication, you want to know, right? What you're putting into your body. You, you want to make sure what it's saying there. And so, don't we listen when things come to you? Like, if your boss sends you a text or you get a love letter from, uh, a, a letter from your loved one, right? You're going to read it. You're going to put your attention on what's written here. Well, this is what Jesus says, Remember, I come with the word of God, with the powerful word of God, and I can divide what's right and what's wrong. And so we want to make sure as we read this letter that we're open to what Jesus is saying, and we're attentive because he wants to get into our hearts. He wants to get deep. He has a powerful word, and he wants to divide what's right and what's wrong. And we want that also, don't we? I believe it's time for us to think about what we're going to get into, to pay attention to what Jesus is saying about how we receive this word. Sometimes we pick and choose in what we listen to or what we apply. But every word of God should be important, not just what you hear, but what God wants to change in you. God wants to make good cuts into your heart to take out that bad. The father of Reformation, Martin Luther, said, My conscience is captive to the Word of God. And I love that. Captive, you guys. Listening, paying attention, focused in on it. So Jesus starts out with this reminder, Look, I come with a two-edged sword in my mouth. I come to speak the Word, to divide what is right and what is wrong. He gives us this reminder, and this is the word for us today, that we would stop allowing the compromise in our hearts and in our lives. Let's go on to number two now. This is verse 13. Number two is the recognition. The recognition. Here in verse 13, Jesus says, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So Jesus knows, again, he's in the midst of the churches, as we've been seeing in the other letters. He can see, he knows his presence is there. He's right there, and he knows here. He knows where you dwell, where they live, and where they live is where Satan's throne is isn't that crazy Satan's throne is right there I think about Daniel chapter 10 you remember when we studied that last year where the prince of Persia was that general demon right set up his headquarters there in in Persia and he did Satan's strategy and battles and over there in that area well here we're reading from Jesus that Satan actually set up his throne, his his headquarters. He set up here his base of operations, right here in the city of Pergamum, and this was an evil and wicked city. You can say that this church was planted behind enemy lines. That's what I was thinking. You know what the interesting thing is? There in Pergamum were many idols. Uh, uh, idol temples, I should say, to the Greek gods. And just as we've been seeing, but even Pergamum had these too. There was to the Greek god of Athene, Dionysus, and the largest temple now was dedicated to Zeus, which they built this temple in the form of this giant throne. Crazy. So you can see Jesus relating to all that. It's like Satan's headquarters right here. Another famous temple that was there was dedicated to a cep, um, I can't say this. A A, a, a like that, something like that. But that's a Greek god of healing, and it, he was symbolized in the form of a snake. So you got a giant throne, you get this snake now, and we know Satan is this serpent pictured in a Bible. And so many would come from all around the empire to go down into these long tunnels and and to get get to this place underneath the temple. And they, they go into these long tunnels where there was, I was reading, there's holes above in these tunnels, and you would hear voices saying, you will be healed, you will be healed. Isn't that creepy? And then they come to, down to this room. And in this room, they actually lie down on the floor and where they would loose let loose non-poisonous snakes and they would slither around the people. And if you got touched by the snake, you supposedly you were healed. Isn't that creepy? <laughs> Lying down, you have these snakes slithering around. I think that's weird. You know, you think about how crazy this is and the voices saying this and Zeus in his throne and Jesus even saying hey this is where Satan's throne is right here in Pergamum no wonder Paul said in 1st Corinthians 10 20 that when when you sacrifice to to idols in these temples you're really offering them to demons crazy that's what's behind so so here is is this church here right in the midst of where Satan set up shop. But Jesus says in verse 13, yet you hold fast my name and you do not deny my faith. So here's the recognition, right? You guys, so even though you're right there where Satan has set up his headquarters, you're holding on to Jesus. Even with the persecution that is going on, you don't deny me and you stand up to me. And that's the great thing about these believers. Pergamon was also home to the first temple that it was ever built, to Caesar Augustus had, uh, uh, when he was in rule, they built a temple there way back. And when the Roman law, remember, came into play, right with uh, um, the old Titian or uh, um, I forgot his emperor's name, but the law came in that you are to pinch, you know, uh, some incense and offer it to Caesar and worship him as Lord. Well, these guys refuse. They stood strong, they stood tall. Even, Jesus is saying in verse 13, even when uh, Antipas, my faithful witness, was killed or martyred among you, where Satan dwells here. So one of the believers there, probably part of the church, was martyred there. Tradition says that he was roasted to death in a metal, big metal bowl, as the church tradition says. So Jesus gives a recognition to these guys, their faithfulness, even in the face of death, even facing that fear of being maybe roasted to death and not giving in to Satan's strategy, right? That would be Satan's strategy, to come and bring in the fear of death, the threat of death, that, oh, you better, you better recant Jesus or you're going to die, right? And for many of us, that's the most precious thing and we fear is death but understand something here understand the devil he is a powerful spiritual being but he is not above God nor is he equal to God the devil is not this being with red skin right with with uh, with horns you know on his head with a pointed tail carrying a pitchfork like in the cartoons that's that's not the devil no we understand it we understand number one he's a fallen angel Isaiah 14 seems to uh, allude to that. 2 Peter 2.4 even talks about he's a fallen angel. Later we're going to see how uh, Satan was um, cast out of heaven and Jesus saw Satan cast out of heaven. He even talked about that. But we know that Satan, he is just a fallen angel. He was cast out of heaven for lifting himself up, wanting to be like God. He is then a created being. He's not God. He's just a created being, an angel. So understand, he's not omnipotent, like all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at, everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He is not equal with God. He's a fallen angel. Secondly, understand this. He is really the author of the fall. He caused the fall in, back in Genesis 3, right? The original sin. With Adam and Eve. He was the one, right? He came into the garden. He was the serpent there. He tempted Eve and then Adam followed and caused her to sin and now we are sinful beings in the flesh. This was Satan. He's called the tempter in Matthew 4, 3 and 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. So understand, he's the one who comes in to tempt you to to compromise against your faith. But you know what? The third thing. One day he will fall in judgment. He'll fall under judgment and he'll fall in judgment. His, there'll be an end to his power. There'll be an end to all that he's doing right now. And his him and his demon army, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They'll be cast into that eternal hell. And, and we're going to see that at the end of Revelation 20.10. And praise the Lord for that. Amen for that. Yeah. His evil deeds will not go on forever. So understand these things, even though it's like, oh, crazy, Pergamum, that's where Satan's throne is. Understand that he doesn't have it over. He's not over God or more powerful at all. So we find a recognition here. Jesus recognizes the faithful believers who did not give in to Satan's even plan, what I see using fear. He did not, they did not give in to Satan's evil plan of using fear. That fear of death. A.W. Tozer said, fear is of the flesh and panic is of the devil. I think that's really good. Because we we don't trust God in those times. We, we, we tend to look at ourselves or what we have or what's around us and, and not to our great and powerful, wonderful God. It's of the flesh. Panic. It's not of the Lord, right? God wants us to have faith. God wants to not fear. And, and and think about, they're in the middle of all this evil. They live in this city where Satan's throne is. And and you can imagine how it must have felt. You ever you ever. Maybe um, I've been to other countries, and even I feel like certain places on this island, I'll drive somewhere, and, and I just feel something. I sense something. Has the Holy Spirit ever given you that sense? You know, it's kind of, there's something not right here. There's, there's some evil here, you know. Think about that city in that same way. And, and that there's like, ooh, I, I stay away from that, yeah. But then think about when death is facing you. When you're you're facing persecution and you're going to face death because of your faith. That's a temptation of the devil to compromise your faith. That fear, that panic feeling. Let me ask you, is there fear getting the best of you right now? Or maybe that's worry. You're worrying about something. Perhaps the enemy of our souls is tempting you with doubt toward God. Maybe, Maybe there's a fear of death. Because maybe you found out recently you got a diagnosis of some disease, cancer, or something that maybe is affecting how long you may live. Maybe there's, there's fear of harm coming to you. Maybe this whole virus, there's this fear of, oh, no, what, what's going to happen? And now what's going to happen to me? And there's a fear like that. Do not let Satan tempt you. To compromise your faith and doubt God and His protection over you. Know this: God is more powerful than any disease. God is more powerful than anything that can happen or may harm you. God's word, His promises, will stand above and anything the devil may be saying to you. I like to pray and say, "Oh Lord, You know my deepest fears." You know what I struggle with. You know what brings doubt. You, you know what comes into me and, and just extinguishes my faith and your care for me. But like the father said, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And you know what I find? As I come to Jesus, as I come to him, as I ask for help with my fears and not run away from God, every step closer to Jesus kills the doubt and fear that's where to go you guys Satan has nothing on you you're a child of God that's who you are the father will protect his children so let us now see how this church stood up to their fears and stopped allowing the compromise let's go to number three the reprimand the reprimand Here we're going to cover verse 14 and 15. And so let's take a look at this right now. Verse 14 says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We'll stop there. Now, the church here of pergamus they were faithful. They stood strong in the face in the fear of death. They, 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 they did not compromise there, and Jesus recognized that. But there is a reprimand, and there's two things Jesus had to resist. And first of all, some had allowed the teaching of Balaam into the church, into their lives, basically. They allowed the teaching of Balaam. Now... Jesus really is referring to Numbers chapter 22 through 25. You remember the story where Balaam uh, showed Balak, the king of the Moabites, how to take down Israel with a stumbling block. And that was tempting them to get them to compromise their walk with God. See, King Balak didn't like how Israel was winning the battles all the time. And so he wanted Balaam, he went to this prophet guy to Balaam if you remember to curse Israel so they would lose in the battle and when Balak and the Moabites would come and they could defeat this nation because God was with them so remember Balak tried to get Balaam to do this you know I'll pay you for this and 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 that was a whole donkey you know Balaam had this conversation with the donkey and all that stuff and then the the Lord sent the donkey to stop him right well um that since that didn't work, and and Bala kept coming, the king kept coming to Balaam. Balaam finally gave him and gave in and told the king to have the pretty girls of Moab invite the Israeli men for a nice idol barbecue. Mm-hmm. And so that that's what they did. They wooed him with the pretty girls of Moab. They came for this barbecue. The meat was really sacrificed to idols, and they were. Uh, fell into the sexual immorality here that uh, is spoken about in verse 14. They ate the food, sacrificed the idols. They compromised their faith in the Lord. They compromised God's word and brought judgment basically upon themselves. That was that was the evil plan. Hey, King Balak, I know how to get them. Just get them to sin against God, and here's how: tempt them. Yeah to fall, tempt them to compromise here. So Jesus is saying, look, you guys, you, some of you have allowed the teaching of Balaam to come into the church. You've allowed some to infiltrate this body by bringing compromising sin. You know, we try here at this church to try and be careful of what kind of false doctrine may come in or what kind of false doctrine you may be listening to or see on TV. I mean, that's why we teach the Word of God. But I'll tell you what, I think we've allowed the compromise of the flesh to come in into our hearts, into our body here. I mean, think about, this is I was thinking, the little emotions that we allow to stay in there that are of the flesh. How about that little, little thing of anger, yeah, to stay inside your heart? And you know, those things, they just grow into more. And you know, when you allow those just little things to infiltrate your heart, little things of the flesh that you just allow, you you know what you're allowing? You're allowing Satan's foot in the door. You know what I mean by that, right? We, we, We close the door, but then his foot is right there stopping the door. And we allow that little crack with that little motion, maybe that little bit of anger, maybe in your, your, your yourself, like, oh, I have the right kind of thing. And you allow that little emotion to fester there. That's what Jesus is talking about. You're allowing that little thing in and it's compromising your faith. Maybe it's allowing a little look A little look on the internet. Maybe you're looking at lustful things. Maybe you're watching some show and we can't avoid it almost nowadays, but uh, you see a little thing and you allow that. You don't stop it at the gate of your eyes, but you allow it to get into your mind and then your heart. Sexual immorality. Maybe you're allowing a little, little distraction of something you really desire to come between you and God, this idol, so to speak. And it's just a, just a little thought. It's a little thing in your heart. Oh yeah, I come to church, I read the Bible every day, I pray, but then there's that little, little thing. That's what Jesus is talking about. You allow it to infiltrate, infiltrate into your heart. Maybe you allow this critical attitude and, and, and your fault-finding Maybe you're, you're allowing that and you're not thinking about, hey, God said, give grace, forgive, agape love. Are you allowing a little bit of that to fester? How about this? Some people say, oh, um, they, they, they put out a little lie, not even thinking that it's wrong. Being a believer Christian, maybe to resolve a situation. To get something you need. And and to you, it's a, a little, it's just a little white lie. But in God's eyes, all lies are black. We're allowing that compromise to come in. This is what I'm talking about. We're talking about staying pure before the Lord. We're talking about honoring God. And you know what? We need to bring those lines back. Or, you know what? Satan will keep pushing that line farther and farther. So, two things Jesus has to address. Some have, number one, allowed the teaching of Balaam. And number two, they allowed the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. And that's verse 15. You have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And you remember, we covered this a couple weeks ago. And you remember how some believe that, that the Nicolaitans were, were the guys who came in with the social order in the church. Where, where you set up priests between you and God. And so people had to go through these priests to reach God. That was a thought. Um, uh, It's kind of interesting, because remember how these letters, they reflect, like, not practically, you know, what was going on with the churches, but historically, it sort of states the what the churches have gone through in the centuries, and some believe that when the Roman emperor Constantine made Christianity the state religion way after this, that, um, af- after Smyrna and all that, that the, that's when these priests and religious leaders became powerful political uh, people or leaders in, in the Roman government at that time. So something that's reflecting the church at that time. But many believe, remember, the other belief of this is the Nicolaitans were actually liberal believers, liberal teachers that, in other words, they're like, hey, it's okay to live a little worldly life. It's okay to do these things that that some people say, oh, we shouldn't do. It's okay. They are the liberal guys mixing in worldly things in the heart. Allowing these things. You know what the interesting thing is? The Ephesians, they were commended for not tolerating the Nicolaitans. But in Pergamum, the believers there allowed it. They were lenient toward these guys. You know what I think about? I think about what probably was going on this in this church here was what Jesus talked about in Matthew 13. He talked about, How God sows the seeds in the world. In other words, He plants believers in the soil of the world. And so believers come and sprout out all over the world. But then the devil, He sows the weeds, the tares, remember? The false believers among the wheat. Now, in the end, God, Jesus says, God will separate the tares from the wheat, right? The real believers from the wheat. But here's the devil coming into this church, infiltrating a church with these teachings with this doctrine with this thinking that it's okay with these things bringing in worldliness bringing in 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 just a little bit of that that oh it's okay or allowing being lenient about allowing these fleshly things inside the church and so with with Smyrna think about this our last our last church right with Smyrna Satan did a full frontal attack tried to kill everybody, and persecute everyone in the church. But that didn't work. So here in Pergamum, the Satan comes to infiltrate, get through that crack in the door. It's like the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, then what? Join them, right? That's his strategy. It didn't work for Satan to destroy the church, so he used a different strategy to join the church. And that's what's going on here. That's what we see here in these two things, in the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here. These guys are lenient toward these little things, and they allow the compromise to set in into the church and into their lives. So beware. Be aware. Be wary of the strategy of the enemy to to, to infiltrate and to decimate. I tried to rhyme this up. To get you to compromise or to traumatize your life. That's what he's out to. You like that? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I say this, so you remember it. That's his strategy. And when you allow those little things, you know, right there, oh, he's, he has his foot in the door. He can come in and he's going to do all that to destroy you. You know, I usually spray outside the p- perimeter of our house, you know. We go Home Depot and get the, the Home de- Defender, sh- sh- make a line, and you make sure, you know, the, the little pests don't cross that line and everything. And, and lately, though, last year was funny. I think we had a war with ants lately. It was just war. But I, we haven't seen ants. But lately, we've seen those little tiny cockroaches here and there. And, and you know, it's like, I was thinking, what is this? I mean, the ants are gone and cockroaches move in, you know, what's going on, you know? So we try and kill them whenever we can and, and all that. And, and, and but you know, the thing is, you don't want, whether it's ants or cockroaches, you don't want to allow them to live inside your kitchen, right? Inside your cupboards or, you know, in your food pantry, none of that, right? So we're pretty adamant, you know, of, of trying to keep that out. Well, think about that in the same way, what Satan does in tempting you and infiltrating your heart. You see, Pergamon was really good on the outer defense, yeah? Yeah, we're going to stand for Christ, We're going, you know, as a church. But on the inside, on the inside, Satan got in and infiltrated them. You may not have allowed like your old life to come back in. You spray, yeah? No more drugs. Yeah, I'm not tempted by that. No more smoke. No more more alcohol. Yeah, I'm good at that, right? You're really good. But what's going on inside your heart? Are you allowing Satan to infiltrate you? Are you allowing that anger, free reign? Are you allowing that? Are you allowing your mouth to say things that it shouldn't say? Especially at home. We can come to church and have our yeah, outer defenses. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, I stand for Jesus. Whew, I worship the Lord. But you go home and you allow those little things in your heart to then come out. Come out. You don't you don't kill them, you don't stomp them. You let it have free reign. That's way deep in those little things. Maybe you allow your mouth to use that word, divorce. Maybe you, you allow thoughts of hatred to live inside of your head. Maybe you allow images of affairs and adultery, or, or you allow your emotions to run free. If, 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 if that's you, you're, you're no different than what Jesus is saying here to these churches. Satan maybe couldn't get you at that full frontal attack. So he's using that different strategy. So shut him down, even inside your home, your house, and inside your heart today. Listen, I want to honor God, don't you, with your life? I want to honor God, not just in in how I present myself in this world, but what's inside of my heart and the thoughts in my head also. I want God to be honored in those places where no one can see, but He can. That's been, uh, that's been really stirring in my heart lately. Be challenged. Hear what Jesus is saying today. Stop allowing the compromise to come in. Well, we've seen the reminder, we've seen the recognition, the, the reprimand, and uh, now we come to number four the remedy the remedy so last two verses here for this morning and last two verses of this letter verse 16 and 17 first of all let's look at verse 16 therefore repent if not i will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth there he's speaking about that sword there jesus calls out and remember he's calling out with love he's saying therefore repent Turn around from this. Do something about this. Do a 180. Don't be lenient toward allowing these things to happen and come into the church. And for us, we say our lives. And he warns, Jesus warns that if not, Jesus will come and he's going to fight against anybody, even those in the church, the some who are holding to the teaching of Balaam, to those who are holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans with the sword, with the word. He's going to come in judgment, in authority, and He will come and bring this judgment to stop what's going on. So, with that in mind, He says in verse 17, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, we see that word again. Everyone has ears, but not everyone has ears to hear what God is saying. Everyone has ears ears, and maybe the words are coming up, but are we really listening to what God is saying? And are we going to respond to what God is saying? He who that hears has ears. Let him hear. Let him really respond to God. And the one who does... The one who does, Jesus says in verse 17, to the one who conquers, that's the one who hears, repents, and applies all this, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So the conqueror is the one who repents, the one who receives, who stops allowing that compromise, who isn't lenient even in their own lives, in that little way, who won't allow satan to infiltrate the heart that's the conqueror jesus will give the hidden manna what is that well it's spiritual food for spiritual strength to live for jesus that's what it is it really ties in back to in the old testament remember when god miraculously gave israel daily food the manna the bread from heaven right Every day it sustained them in the 40 years they were in traveling in the, in the wilderness until they got to the promised land and, and that was abundant with food and fruit. God sustained them. So, so here's Jesus saying, I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the nourishment. I'll give you the spiritual food to live this life. He who, who conquers, he who repents and gets rid of those compromises that's going on. We know Jesus in John 6.51 is the bread of life, right? We are nourished by him. We want Jesus in that way in our lives. He's our source of life to live for him. And to the conquerors, Jesus says, he will give them a white stone with a new name written on it that no one knows except you. What is that? Well, there's different ideas. Some say uh, it's a symbol of victory in the game that they would give a white stone and that would be like um, uh, the winning team would get this white stone as like a prize or a medal in that way some say uh it 's a white stone given in when you're say in court and for acquittal you 've been acquitted that you your name would be on would be official like document or stone saying that oh you're you 're acquitted uh some say, and I like this and I tend to believe this some say that this stone a white stone with their name your name on it was used at as an invitation to a banquet, to their banquet that, that this person is giving with your name on it. I like that. You know, it's, it's kind of like those uh, invitations you get in the mail or someone hands out or, 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 or now there's uh, e-invitations, right? Electronic ones. I like that thought. I like that, you know what? We have a seat reserved for us in the banquet of heaven. One day we will be in that marriage supper of the Lamb. All together, the whole church was Jesus Christ. And the stone on there is written a special name. What is that? We don't know exactly, but perhaps it's a special nickname that God has for you. As, you know, like we give our kids, you know, special names. My mom used to call me Keke. Because um, I think my sister started because she couldn't say my name. And she, as a baby, she'd say Keke. And so my mom would call me Keke. Only my mom, right, would say that. Well, God has a special nickname he has for you. But it really speaks of that acceptance of the Father and that intimacy of relationship that he has with you. So finally, our last point is this. Jesus calls for repentance, so you will not only have a life in Jesus today, but a special relationship with God in heaven. It's for today and it's for the future. It's for the present, and it's for what's to come in all of eternity. I was thinking about this in a similar way, as I mentioned, Elizabeth Elliot. He is the wife of the famous Jim Elliot, who was killed uh, while reaching out to the Alca tribe in uh, Ecuador in South America. Uh, She came to speak in a church in California, and without thinking the passive church, came up to her and addressed her as Betty, using this name that she had wrote about, uh, when, when all that had happened to her husband. Well, Mrs. Elliot corrected him, saying, You know, my name is not Betty, it is Elizabeth. Betty was Jim's private name for me. And I think that's it. We have a special name only to be used by God and us. Just like there's a special name that's used between a special relationship. And so God has that reserved. For you. Well, as we come to a close, why jeopardize all that God has for you? Why jeopardize the bread of life and his sustenance, his spiritual sustenance for every day? Why jeopardize and miss the blessing? So don't be deceived by the enemy. Don't think it's okay to allow those little sins, those little fleshly things, because they'll end up taking you down In the end, I'll close with this. In Northern California, there stands this massive redwood tree. It stood tall for 400 years, they say. It had uh, survived countless earthquakes, storms, floods, and other violent natural disasters. Yet one day, without warning, this massive tree came crashing down to the ground with a tremendous thud that everyone heard around. And nobody really knew why. A lumberjack didn't come and chop it down. A bolt of lightning didn't hit it. And that didn't cause the fall. But on close investigation, you know what they discovered? Why, they discovered why this ancient tree had fell. Tiny beetles had worked their way into the trunk and ate away the life-giving fibers weakening the mighty tree, the bulk from the inside out. What lightning couldn't do, what a lumberjack couldn't do, tiny insects brought it down. So you see, in the same way, that's what Satan will do. You may have stand strong in certain things, but then inside your heart, he's going to try and get in you and bring you down through small and seemingly insin- insignificant temptation. So watch out, you guys. Watch out before you fall into ruin. So it's time now, as Jesus is calling out to us, to stop allowing the compromise. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. And as you speak to our consciences, as your Holy Spirit convicts us, Lord, of those little things we allow, Lord, we want to repent of them right now. Forgive us, Lord, of allowing those little things and not dealing with them. Forgive us, God, for... For our sins and cleanse us right now, make us right with you. And God, as we walk out of you, may we be mindful of what we allow to live there in our minds. What we allow to, to get comfortable in our hearts, the home in our hearts. Jesus, we want you and we want everything about us, Lord. Not just what we say and do or what's on what we present, God, but what is on the inside that nobody can see but you see, God. We want to honor you and live honorably and be pure before you. And God, we know that we cannot do it without you, Lord. We need your strength and help. We need your power and ability. And I ask that your Holy Spirit will come and fill us now, Lord, that your Spirit will begin to draw out and produce the fruit in our lives that you've put there, God, that's ready to come. And we just need to choose. We just need to make that decision. We are free from the bondage of our sin, and we are no longer slaves, Lord, but we present ourselves as slaves to righteousness not yielded to sin. We yield ourselves to you, God, right now. So, Lord, give us the courage, the strength to walk out of here, Lord, being mindful of these things and to stop allowing the compromise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.